another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dara, Tea. Your vital essence, the Dark Crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart. Now go, you heroes of Thra. Hello and welcome to this episode of Trial by Stone. I'm your host, Phil, and I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast as we celebrate the two-year anniversary of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And for this uh, very special episode with myself and along with Sydney, we're doing another audio commentary for the show. And I know that last year that um, Sydney, Jamie, and I uh, we actually did one for the very first episode um, last year, which you can just find that in our back catalogue of shows. I'll put a link to it on the uh, podcast show notes, uh, so you can um, find, um, you know, if you want to listen to that one. Uh, for those that haven't, um, check it out. So for this one, uh, we're actually, I know usually we'd be like, oh, let's do episode two, you know, for the next audio commentary, but we're actually skipping ahead because we've got a very special guest. Javier Grigio Markswash, who, of course, is the co-executive producer of the show and and was actually and was the writer for this episode that we're going to be talking about. So, uh, which the, of course the episode is episode seven. Uh, the title is called "Time to Make My Move," which is really exciting. So we're very happy to have Javier on the show with you know with the instructions with audio commentaries. Um, you know, if, if you're new to this sort of thing, I'll just give you the instructions. Uh, so obviously get on your Netflix, sign in, go to age resistance, episode seven, and then click play. And then once it start playing, pause it, then rewind it to the start to, to see zero, zero, zero. And that means that everything should, uh, sync up, um, from all of us at our end and also at your, at your end too. So um, to do, so do that. And then once I say, you know, three, two, one play, no, 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 not, not now, but once I say three, two, one play, once I say play, obviously hit play. So here we go. Three, two, one play. Ah, the Netflix ka-chung-chung-chung. Chung, chung. Yeah. It's like the nice version of the law and order ka-chung-chung, chung, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so um something i wanted to say as we start this is that um i want to give a lot of credit to uh obviously will matthews and jeff addis um i get a lot of great notices on the script but you know will and jeff were the ones who went to uh, you know jeff went, went to london and him and will did a lot of the production rewrites on this thing so i want to point out that you know like the the, the arrival at the circle of the suns was actually the end of episode uh six originally uh, of Carrie Drake's episode, and there were a bunch of budget contingencies and different things that happened, um, and also a big part of the of the uh, stuff with the Hero of the Kendall Wanderer. So um, you know, Will and Jeff really gave a big assist on this one, and I just want to give them credit for that. I think in TV, it's seldom um, people seldom talk about how much um, you know it's a collaboration. So, and here's Rakir, and uh, 
wow, he's so just great. Um, I think one of my favorite characters, he's just so, so just dashing. He's sort of like the goth John Hamm of Gelfland. <laughs> that is the best way I have heard that guy. That's phenomenal. Did you guys sort of intend for him to be as smoldering from the get-go, or was that sort of just sort of special for Brea, or was this no, who well, he is? <laughs> no, you know what? Um, so, so when we started talking about Bennu and about the the the, the crystal skimmer and all that, and, and and it having a captain, immediately the model for that character was Riker, you know, who is the most you know sort of dashing you know uh, uh, guy in Star Trek, and and that's why his name is Rakir, as you know, because it's an anagram for how Dorothy Fontana spelled Riker in the original Encounter at Farpoint pilot. Um, so yeah, we always intended, because we really also wanted um, wanted there to be a kind of romantic challenger in it, you know, a viable sort of male, um, you know, sort of sort of a male uh, 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 a character who could uh, romance Brea. And, uh, you know, I think, I, I feel like we succeeded in that. He's pretty great. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he romanced all of us. I just got to do a quick shout out for, of course, our Moog who just appeared. Mm -hmm. It was one of the creatures that won in that, um, on that contest on darkcrystal.com. Oh, cool. I think that was a Yukari uh, Masuyuki. Nice. So this, so, so this was all going to be the end of episode six. And then this action sequence that's coming right now is something that had to be written in production. There really was not going to be that, but we, we felt like there, there needed to be some action here to kind of kick the episode off on an interesting note. You know, I gotta say, Lore is my favorite uh, design ever. Um, certainly one of my favorite things in the show. I think that he's so improbable. And I remember when we came up in the writer's room with the idea that he would have those wheels that were like an old-fashioned turntable record. And he's just so much fun and so magical, you know? And, and it was a hard design to come up with. There were a lot of iterations on it. And, and, and coming up with this was, was just a real breakthrough hit. And he's just, I've never seen anything like Lore, you know? Um, but there's a lot of things on Dark Crystal that you've never seen anything like before. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Laura's yeah. definitely one of those ones where you spend so much of your first time viewing it wondering, is that a puppet? How did they, I mean, it looks real. It looks like I could touch it, but there's no way they did that with a puppet, right? Like, well, it's, wow. it's interesting. Laura, you know, Laura was one of those rod puppets where the, the operator was in a green bodysuit behind Laura. So it wasn't like you stick your hand in it. Um, and, uh, you know, and obviously there's there was a CGI double for Lore as well because some of the stuff is not necessarily puppet, uh, puppetic. Right, puppetic. <laughs> yeah. Write that down. Oh, I, I want to say like the Circle of the Suns is um, so the way that I name things whenever I write fantasy is real easy to spot. The big thing in the middle of the of the of, of the Stone in the Wood Village, right, is called the Crucible of Many Hammers. The the royal road to naming things in epic fantasy is just name them exactly what they are but in a grand way, you know, like bag of holding. Right, exactly. <laughs> It'll <all> come, <laughs> so, um, so you know, the, the crucible of many anvils, the circle of this, it's really easy to tell when I name something in a fantasy, uh, in a fantasy show. <laughs> oh, poor Hup, he was retching. Yeah, Hup won't die. As always, as always a shout out to Victor Yared for just a wonderful characterization on that character, you know? Yeah. Such a great moment um, with Pup at the very start. And also, I mean, I, I like your little foreshadowing, I think, with uh, one of the lines, I think, Rakir says that death hangs heavily over the circle of the suns. <laughs> oh, Rakir, he's so goth, isn't he? <laughs> so goth. Oh, I love him. These two characters, you know, I, I love them because their design is so, they're still a Skeksis and a wonder, but their design is so different, you know? 
And I love how they did face paint on the heretic and how his garments are skexis like but still very soft. And, uh, and you know, he was the conqueror and, and he was obviously a very bloodthirsty guy to start with before he became the heretic. And I feel like there's a real, you know, the, the use of red in this character, he's going to sort of pay homage to his past, but it shows that he's kind of moved past it. It's as usual, our costumers on this show, you know, did so much heavy lifting in terms of telling the story just by nature of what they designed. So it's just, you know, like between, you know, the frouds and our costume shop and all that, we just have these beautiful costumes that tell so much of the story. And that's something that's really uh, uh, wonderful. Um, and, and look, the, the, as you know from our previous conversation, the counterpart to the Circle of the Sun would have been the Eye of the Stars. But I can't say anything else about that because uh, I've probably said too much already. I don't, know who th I don't know who thought of putting that little knob on top of the heretic's head, but it's kind of phenomenal, isn't it? I was going to ask about that. Where did that... <laughs> I, have, I have no, no idea. idea. That's a design. Yeah. Um, but, I, but, you know, like he probably, if he has a drink, he could put it up there, you know? Uh, <laughs> so. Plus, it makes for a cool little sound effect, too. He could ask for a drink with it. He'd right. ding. One of the things that really happened in production in this script was the conflict between the heretic and the wanderer was much different in my first draft. We always wanted them to be like a, like a husband and a wife who just bicker constantly. That dynamic was there when Jeffrey and when, when Jeff and Will created the show. It, it predates me. Um, so, so my idea had been that, um, they, uh, that, that they had a peg leg and then they shared the peg leg and that the peg leg was missing. Um, and they each accused the other of stealing the peg leg. And then they kept, and, and, and they were basically having a really, really horrible time together because they were arguing about who stole the peg leg and all that. But the Gelfling couldn't figure out what the peg leg was because they called it the esteemed helper. Oh. Um, so when they finally find the esteemed helper, that's when they finally then get the information and the puppet show starts. But what, what happened was we found out um, after I wrote the script that um, they, you know, if, if, if you look at a Herit, at, at a Skeksis body puppet and, and, and a, and a, and a mystic body puppet, the legs are the operator's legs. So doing a peg leg on either one of those forms, you know, would have been required, probably the, the, the construction of a whole separate puppet or a, a number of engineering challenges that were just not available to us. So, you know, Jeff and Will came up with this idea of, of the opera. And I think, I think it's hilarious. I mean, it's, it's a wonderfully funny thing. You know, and I, and I think that one of the things it does is that you know, you start the first, the first half of this episode is very much about waiting and about expectation and all of that. And then the second half of it is so action packed that it really gives the episode a nice kind of slow burn into some really just sort of epic, uh, wonderful things. But again, you know, just a lot of credit to Will and Jeff for their creativity and coming up with solutions when production problems reared their ugly head. And they always do. Because I was, I was off working on Blood and Treasure when they shot this. Actually, no, I was actually in England when the end of this episode was shot. And I got to watch them shoot the, the battle scene at the end. And it was amazing. Because um, we were working on our pitch for season two during that time. So I did two weeks in England. You know, as, as usual, you know, and look, when, when we started working, when Carrie Drake came to work on the show, she made a doodle of a, of a, of a mystic and a mystic putting on a top hat. And he was sort of halfway there, and, and the caption was, putting on the Ritz, but very slowly. And I think it was a writer's room joke for us that the mystics just were so damn slow in everything, <laughs> you know? And, and that it finally somehow made it onto the screen is kind of, is kind of great. 
the the uh, the voice performances across the board. I'm sure that you've noted them many many times, but they're just beautiful. And you know, I I had really not known Anya Taylor Joy's work until I saw the Queen's Gambit. Um, and uh, so I only knew her as Brea. So you know, and I knew she I knew who she was obviously, but it was so weird watching the Queen's Gambit and not seeing Brea. And frankly, I could see Brea as Beth Harmon. So. It, <laughs> you know, in another life. A lot of this bickering and all of that was very much by, by design and something that, that Will and Jeff really felt like it could give us a, a strong comedic element. Sandberg had been a, a, um, a huge fan of um, The Dark Crystal. And, you know, when they announced the show, he was actually the... You know, a lot of people came out of the woodwork to try to work on the show in the in the in the puppeting sculpture design community and all that. But in the acting community, Sandberg was like the first one who called us like he called us and he was like and he's like, hey, I'm Andy Sandberg. And we're like, we know. And, and and he's like, can I have a meeting? And we're like, what for? And he's like, I want a meeting. And so we met with him and he came in and he was delightful. Um, and he told us about his fandom for the show and all of that. And it was like. Um, and we, and oh, he, amazing, yeah. and he literally, he literally said to us, I'll push a broom. And we were like, I, we think we can find a better use for your talents, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting wow. is also, it's also like, you know, look, he, he said he got into the, a lot into the movie in college. And I said, uh, uh, well, I'm sure there was a lot of cannabis use involved. And he said, actually, no. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> from a non-intoxicated yeah, place. Yeah, it's genuine. Yeah. Well, not that, by the way, not that when you're high, you're not genuine, but right. you know, it, yeah. <laughs> Certain things become more, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the powering down of lore and lore having that jewel in it and all of that is, um, you know, look, I had I had very high hopes that uh, that the show would, would not just be a massive, massive uh, smash hit, but that we would get a lore toy with that little glowing green thing. Um, I think it would be very hard to sort of figure out how to keep together. I, you know, the, the Circle of the Suns is really an interesting set also because this is halfway through the season and usually what happens halfway through the season is that you realize just how much of your money has run out, you know, because you've built the standing sets that you're going to use many, many times and all of that. And and that's where you go, oh my God, we have to do this massive battle at the end of the, of the series and this is how much we have left. Oh, crap. So the Circle of the Suns is a really nice kind of masterpiece of, of set design in that it, it implies space and scope but a lot of it is these hangings and these tapestries and all of that I, I i will have to say it's like i mean especially with episode seven that i was kind of glad that it did it was a bit of a slow pace at the start of just you know we're just getting this exposition a lot has happened in the first six episodes of the show so like at the start it was like very nice of a breather um you know as a different change of pace but of course you know <laughs> towards that sort of changes all that towards the second half at the end of the um, well i think again i think it's uh you know again and i think a lot of the stuff is very funny um, you know, so, so that also helps quite a bit that, that you sort of go through it. Um, these parts with the emperor and the general and, and, and the parts in the Skeksis castle are pretty much, are very faith, are, are pretty much what I wrote. Um, the, 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 and the ascendancy, which as, as I think I've mentioned to you is named after the Chiss ascendancy and the Star Wars, uh, Thrawn novels. Um, there was a lot of design work done on, on this, on the face, because we didn't want it to look like the, uh, the thing in the, at the end of the matrix revolutions. You know, even though, even though, I mean, look, I've seen that movie, so it must have influenced me. We really, you know, look, the, the Dark Crystal just can't be derivative. You know, it's, it's so unique. So there's a lot of design work that went into this. And it's funny because they made a sort of sheet of rubber with a bunch of uh, spiders molded into it that they used as a placeholder 
uh, while, while this was um, being built uh, on, on the computer. And the other thing that's interesting about this is the actual inspiration for this, even though, um, again, you know, I'm sure that there were a bunch of them, um, for me, was the helping hands in Labyrinth. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. Lots of people caught yeah. on to that. So that yeah. was that was deliberate from the get-go to sort of homage that. It, yeah. I mean, I, I always thought that it would look something like that. And I mean, look, it's, it, I mean, it's uh, anything that, that uh, presages the, 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 the legacy of Jim Henson is not presages, but that sort of indicates it is, is very important and had always been very important to me. So uh, I was able to stick in, you know, the, the joke, not the joke, but the homage to Timothy Zahn's books. But I felt that it was subtle enough that it wouldn't take you out of this world. And when nobody noticed, I thought, okay, we're there, <laughs> you know. So, um, and, you know, this is, this is um, a lot of this stuff, you know, like, was not in the original pitch. This, a lot of the stuff, like, um, the mind control bugs that come later and... The Aratham becoming the army and also especially the Emperor's sickness coming from the darkening are things that we developed in this middle period of story breaking. You know, you get to a point on a show where you realize that you have to not stretch things out, but develop things and enrich them and all of that. And we really wanted to to specify why the Emperor died before any of the other Skeksis in the movie and all of that. So so this was so so it, it helped us kind of platform the movie that way, but it also gave us that great weapon at the end of the show. Um, and I almost wonder, I'm not entirely sure if that weapon at the end of the show came first. No, we, we, we didn't retrofit that, but it was definitely something we know we're definitely talking about that final battle. And I think some of our bigger story conversations and then sort of that had a knock on effect into this episode. So this is, you know, this is the, the, um, I always thought, you know, like, it's funny because uh, Rianne sort of, uh, Rianne and Deed kind of wound up becoming our romantic pairing. Uh, and I always thought uh, Rianne and Brea might also wind up having a little bit of an, of an energy, which is why Rakir came into the, the picture. Um, and, you know, I think Rakir and, and Brea might have had a future had we moved forward. But, you know, this was sort of, you know, I really wanted this to be a, um, a meet-cute uh, when, when I wrote it. And, and um, you know, the, the, this Nurlock Rump stuff, that's all Will and Jeff, and it's wonderful. So, you know, again, it's it's the collaborative process here. They, they refined a lot of the stuff that I wrote and had to change it because of the production changes. So, you know, it's, um, but, but, but it was always meant to be a tender scene between these two. And, and you know, I think this is where, where the audience really kind of gets um, invested in their, in their romance, you know. And, and look at just the expression here. I mean, it's like, I'm not even listening to the dialogue so we can do, I'm, I'm, I'm reading it. Um, and, and you can see just from the, you know, it's funny because a lot of the reviews on this talked about the puppets not being too expressive or stuff like that. And, and I'm like, off. Um, I, I'm reading so much emotion off of these characters because the performances, both the vocal but the physical performances are so evocative. And I think also, you know, the, there's the, 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 the Kuleshov effect. I mean, the editing obviously helps us here, but, but it really is these actors portraying the, the, both, both the puppeteers and the actors portraying the characters um, that are... And of course, the uh, the best joke. Uh, oh no, no, it's not. No, no, this isn't. It's not. It's not yet. You know the, what the best joke in this episode is, and we'll get to it in a second. And and I will, you know, uh, give all the credit to Will and Jeff for it. Um, so yeah. So, but first, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the true history of Thra. <laughs> um, I don't. I'm not entirely sure where the idea of having these two sing like uh, like uh, Tuvan throat singers, but it's kind of phenomenal, isn't it? Well, it's sort of <laughs> so, the only reference yeah. in the entire show to sort of that 
classic thing that the mystics do in the film that sort mm-hmm. of yeah. Aww, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. iconic for who they are and this is which by the way uh my four-year-old my, my five-year-old has not seen the show or the movie because it's nightmare fuel and she, i have shown her all of the books and all of that and we actually do that together the uh you know so <laughs> it's, i uh, you know, Hup seems to get no end of uh, of, uh, of humiliation in this episode, and I feel bad for that because he's such a... Um, but then in the fight, you know, I really gave him a, a moment of heroism in the fight with the hunter at the end of this, which... Uh, and, and, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. And again, you know, this piece of, of, of comedy that, that that's happening now is... is um, is again just a part of kind of giving a slow burn into the into, into what then becomes a, a humongously um, plot and incident packed episode. Um, so, but uh, yeah, and as, and as you can see, as I was saying, you know, a lot of the set you're not seeing the outer walls, you're not seeing the true scope of the place, um, and and that's sort of the magic of set building is that you know you can imply a lot of space and a lot of scope um, with light, with drapes, with all of this stuff, and and I just I really love the set, you know. Well, it's, it's also very evocative of, of like theatrical set because that's so much of what setting for the stage is, you know, when I look, you know, look uh, back uh, on. Yeah, and, and I wish, you know, look, honestly, I wish that uh, film and television um, gave itself the, the um, permission to be more sort of expressionistic in how they d- display things, you know. Um, I feel like we're kind of shackled by verisimilitude a lot of the time in our settings and all of that. And I really, so this, this is just like candy to me. And I'm always like looking at the background, you know, just seeing if there's like any other like, you know, little props that they might have tried to tell like lots of other stories that they were trying to plan for many years. Like if it was like a Rana figure somewhere, you know, <laughs> I always, I always, uh, well, you know, Roundup, uh, you know, Roundup is a, was a big issue in our, uh, in our conversations about, you know, sort of the future of the show and all that. And, and uh, you know, he certainly has a part in, I think, however, the Henson company chooses to continue this Roundup will continue to be part of the, the mythology. Um, I, I, but I always imagine this is a kind of henge, you know, <laughs> like I actually figured it would, it would be sort of a lot more, uh, um, you know, that, that it would be a lot more spacious and, and so forth. So I think that there's a, oh, this is one of my favorite scenes in this. I really, um, just, um, and you know, Benedict Wong and Jason Isaacs, uh, uh, just, just, uh, yeah, phenomenal. And also just the way that, that, that Benedict Wong, and I never got to meet him, which, which really upsets me because I've liked that guy ever since, um, Dirty Pretty Things, the, the, this movie he made with Chuitalaijo for like about maybe 15 years ago. Um, and he's just a, an actor that I've seen and stuff over and over again. And I just, and, and now that he's Wong in, uh, you know, in the Avengers and all of that, I mean, he's just, uh, I, I just adore him, you know? Um, and he delivers the line, it's purple really nicely. <laughs> so. I know every time I, I, when he says that line, I'm always thinking back to the Simpsons, a purple is a fruit. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's a real, you know, and again, this shows you how things develop and the conception of things. You know, we, we, we already had a, a bunch of things that were in the, in the thing, the darkening. We knew that the darkening was purple. We knew that it was a shaft of energy and did all of this stuff. And we knew that it was um, connected to the darkening. So, but, you know, like, like we, you know, until we began to break the story and begin to really look at the finale and what was going to happen, um, we didn't really start tying those strings together. So this is something where I really like it just on a technical level because you see a writing staff really beginning to tie up a bunch of things that were just it's kind of like improv you know where like you just sort of put down a bunch of things and then hopefully you pick them up later you know and I think that's you know people are always asking well did you know how Lost was going to end or how this that was going to end and all that it's like you know we we basically scattered the pieces of everything all over the place 
And then we would, look, we would look and see, what do we need? There's a wrench, grab it, you know? And I think that's how great television, you know, you, you surround people with, with interesting ideas and they pick them up when they're useful, you know? Yeah, when it makes sense and, organically. Yeah, you know, one of my proudest moments is, um, is uh, everybody found the nose and the mucus really gross. Um, I think even even Lisa Henson was grossed out by it, and, and I, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, as well you should be. <laughs> if you thought, you know, with Skak like in the first episode was gross, just wait, just wait till this moment, that moment there, yeah. <laughs> the Crystal Skimmer is, is um, there was a huge action sequence in episode six with the Crystal Skimmer getting darkened that we couldn't do. Um, so this is, it's, uh, of course, as we see here, by the way, this, I, I, and I'm sure Jeff told you this, one of the biggest joys in doing a show with puppets is you get to throw puppets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, puppet throwing is just the greatest, most fun thing ever. And we, we do a fair bit of it uh, in this. I have a really nice picture of me and, and, and Will um, Matthews on the set, on this set. And it's actually, I think, in the making of book. Um, and, uh, you know, Skek, Skekmal, uh, Skekmal came from um, source material. You know, at the end of the show, there, there's a long credit for source because so many people developed versions of the Dark Crystal over the years. So, so Skekmal, you know, again, to give credit where credit is due, was uh, Simon, Simon and Rich. Um, and, um, but from their animated version of the show, I believe. Um, so, so there's a lot of, you know, I, again, you know, because this, the Dark Crystal longitudinally has had so much development. Um, there were just a lot of things laying around that we could pick up and, and use, and it's one of the great things about it. And I fought, not fought, um, I, I, will, I will lay claim to the idea that, that Skekmal is the one Skeksis who can use his, his, his two vestigial arms, um, probably because he's out in the world and, and he has more, more need for them and he hasn't grown atrophied like the other ones. And yeah, the moment in episode four where he, where he does that, uh, where he shows off that he can use his, his other two arms is one of my favorite things in the show. It's, everything's my favorite thing in the show. I say that a lot, but uh, as, as you know, I have nothing but great things to say about everything that's, that we've done here. <laughs> so, so we threw a puppet. That was good. And of course, the fate of Rick here is probably, you know, mm-hmm. a bit open <laughs> for things, possibly, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. look, I'm not saying that this was discussed, but, uh, you know, um, I would have definitely uh, had him be a, a, a major romantic player uh, in this story um in any future of it um because he he's he's a fun character he looks weird and different the deuce and overall they're my favorite well no my favorite clan is the stone in the wood clan um because they're the warriors and the salt of the earth girlflings and because madra fair is like my favorite character in the show um so so uh but but the deuce and just visually and i i just love how gothy they are you know i called (laughs) him john ham before but he's more like peter Steele really think about it he's who's peter Steele? I don't, I don't... a typo negative lead singer he's he is sort of goth oh. john ham he's you know, <laughs> okay he's going to a goth club he's their yeah. equivalent of john ham <laughs> so this is the best joke this is the best joke in this show right now the puppetry oh god uh, yeah. no, no, no. and that's that's all will and jeff and it's totally their sense of humor and it's beautiful and it's brilliant and i applaud them you know but as i've told you before this is probably the proudest moment of my career is that i got to do a puppet show within a puppet show with you know uh, 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 the frouds with Barnaby Dixon and, and with, with people from the Jim Henson company. I mean, this is like, you know, this is the expo dump to, 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 to destroy all expo dumps. And, and I'm just, you know, proud to the point of arrogance about how well it came, it came out. You know, thinking about it, it's just like, uh, you know, is this thing, 
you know would a puppet scene within a pub scene would that sort of work or if it's going to be a bit too much or too meta but it it but the way it was presented in the show with everything that was done was just yeah well amazing. Yeah, and a lot of that yeah. is how is how louis blocked it it's how the puppeteers worked it it's 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 what the designers came up with for the actual individual puppets and stuff like that uh not everything i mean i didn't specify like that the you know earth sketch would look like that or whatever i wrote the monologue and i so but I mean, the Urskex, I wish I, my daughter loves the Urskex, so I wish I had that Urskex puppet. <laughs> yeah, especially since it has that um, reversible action. It's what? That reversible action that the puppet has, yes. too. Like, that's yes. amazing. Yeah. And look, I think that, you know, honestly, I really love the Urskex and Skeksis, you know, sort of being divided part of this mythology. I find it very um, interesting. And, and it's just it's just something that I... That I um, spent a lot of time thinking about and I, I wish we'd been able to to use the Urskex. I think again if, if this had gone any further, um, you know, I think the Urskex would have had to um figure in some way in, in, in a continuation, but um I can't tell you exactly how. Um yet. You can't tell <laughs> <yes>. us yet. <laughs> but but the, but there are mysterious ways, but you know it's interesting because in oh look at this. I mean my God, it's like this is just beautiful. And and when they hug um, you know, I remember when I first saw it, I, I wept it was <laughs> and, I, and I'm man enough to admit that I, I have no, no problem admitting to that. Um, but you, yeah, this is uh, you know, and Hub is sleeping and you know, the, the, um, and look, I think this is really heady stuff, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's really heady and it's, and it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people think the dark crystal is a kid's movie and you're like, uh, you know, try explaining these ideas to a, to a five-year-old, you know, um. And they and some and, and you know like some of them get them, but you know, um, so one of the one of the the, the things here we had a, a lot of discussions because Louis didn't want to do shadow puppetry, um, because uh, Harry Potter uh, has some some of that, and and we also you know Bram Stoker's Dracula, so we really didn't want to. Uh, Louis was always strident uh, uh, in in a nice way because Louis a very nice man, um, but he was very strident about not doing things that had been done before. Um, Oh, look at that. I mean, it's, 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 it's so evocative of the sadness of being, of not having that connection. You know, it, it, it really, yeah, that, that works for me. <laughs> um, oh, so this is, so, uh, this is the dual glaive, um, which is not a glaive, uh, but it is dual. Um, a glaive, as we all know, is not the little star from Krull either, but rather a, uh, a, a blade at the end of a long pike. But, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't care. I love the word glaive. Just like the people who wrote Crawl, I don't care. Um, I love the word glaive, and I'm going to use it, damn it. And part of, part of and, and I got to tell you, this, it's not an homage, but when we were talking about how to make the weapon special, one of the, 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 the things I, I evoked was um, there's this old sword and sorcery movie. It's not really old. It's from the 80s, called uh, The Sword and the Sorcerer. Um, and the, 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 uh, the main character in that movie has a sword with three blades, and then the blades, like two the two side blades, shoot out like projectiles. You know, so it's it's the you know it's, it's like somebody said, oh, they got lightsabers. We have like torpedo sword. You know, and it's it's visually really arresting. You couldn't possibly fight with it. Um, so uh, um, and and the dual glaive. You know, I, I think that 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 um, you know that dual sort of aspect of it. And again, you know, one of the things we wanted to do with this show was subvert the hero's journey myth. So we very specifically leaned on the cliche of the missing weapon you know if you get excalibur you can if you get you know the glaive if you get you know the the so so we wanted to, to kind of do that quest thing and i think when you do that you run the, the 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 risk of you know sort of leaning too heavily on the hero's journey and also um 
um, you know, kind of having video game plotting, which is, you know, oh, it's not in A, so we have to go to B. Oh, it's not in C, we have to go to C. And, you know, we see that a lot in movies today because a lot of people who write movies have grown up on yeah, video your games. Your princess is in another castle. Exactly. <laughs> but it's not, it's not a fun way to watch a movie. Um, you know, it's no fun to watch another person play a video game. So we wanted to make sure that at the end of the quest for, for the dual glaive, there was a really frustrating failure um, that led not to Rianne being the hero because I think a big part of it, you know, like this could have so easily fallen into what happened in the original movie, which is just a straight up hero's journey story. Um, we wanted the, the female characters to have their own heroism and we wanted it to be a story about collusion and about coming together. So it was important that we subverted those tropes heavily. So here we have kind of the beginning of what we think will be a hero's journey quest and you know really it's going to end poorly for everyone. Get it out. Was it I think it was Will and Jeff who made the comparison of uh, to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas with these two characters? <laughs> with Benicio del Toro yeah, and Johnny Depp. Yeah. Um That's purely Will and Jeff. Like, I have okay. I have not seen that movie. <laughs> But, you know, but you know what, no, but here's the thing, like, again, um, this was something that they put together because they had to replace another thing. So in my original draft, it was not about the, the, the mystic being slow. We, we, we were actually not making fun of that. So, um, so, so again, it's something that they picked up from. Um, so the, so, so Madre Farah, as I've told you in our, in, in, in our podcast, I, I, my inspiration for her was Maximus from Gladiator. Um, I adore the character. I wanted to look. All the women in this show are badasses. I mean, we we were very very, um, you know, clear that we wanted that, and we I feel like we executed it really well. Modern Fair for me is is, you know, a, a a female warrior, and and like I said, I wrote her based on on that Maximus character, but I didn't want to skimp on her femininity. I wanted I wanted her heroism and her um, command to be, you know, I, I want her to be a Madra. But I also wanted her to have the qualities that I that I really loved in in in, in that character. Um, it's funny Warwick um, sent me an email recently because the the uh, Gelfling who come in to give news during this episode, red haired, and then there's other two. Um, originally, um, I think there are less of them now. I actually haven't seen the episode in in, in uh, with Righteous Fury, by the way, and Furious Anger, uh, <laughs> uh, Ezekiel, I think from Pulp Fiction, something like that. Um, <laughs> Not an homage, but again, like when you write speeches like that, it's really hard to. Um, so, so I actually named these the, the, these Gelfling, um, and I and, and again, I was gonna slip another pop culture reference, and I wasn't able to. But there are three. There were three Gelfling in, in, in this show that were originally named after the three movies in the in the Koyanis Katsi trilogy. So one of them was gonna be Koyan, the other one was Powaka, and then the last one was gonna be Nikoi. Um, and they they got rid of that really quickly. Wow, <laughs> they were like, yeah, nobody's gonna get that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't I even about getting care. it. It was just, it was just, a, <laughs> it, it, it would have been nice because nobody would have gotten exactly. it. So it would have just been, you know, but, but, um, no, I think it's the, 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 the disposition of the Gelfling puppets changed and how the information was distributed changed. Um, and Agra, again, a real pleasure to write because her intonation and the way she speaks is so arch. Um, it's just re she was just really fun to write. 
And you know she's she 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 really gives zero fucks. I mean, none, she, she, none, absolutely none. <laughs> you know, so we could use her to also kind of comment. On, you know, like there's a lot of it's not meta, but there's you know like we as human beings when we run into adversity comment on it. Um, and I think there's a lot of comment about how the characters are constantly being given quests and things like that, and how things get different. And I think Augur is a really good character to kind of um, do do that kind of commentary with without it sounding like we're being meta. You know. Um, the Song of Thra is a bit was was a, a huge part of every conversation we had, and it's sort of, you know, it really is about the future. You know, sort of having so many possible outcomes, and you know, it's interesting that Avengers Endgame wound up kind of using a device like that of the fourteen million outcomes, and only one of them works, and all of that. You know, because I think, I think it's a really interesting idea that, you know, you can have these characters who have you know a second sight, the ability for prophecy, but you know, I you seldom see the ability for prophecy kind of. Um, uh, uh, having a concession to free will in an interesting way. So this is a, so I think that was a big, big part of it. And, um, you know, look, Agra, um, is going to let the Gelfling sink or swim. She protects them and she loves them, but she's going to, you know, she, she's going to, she's going to, she, she's going to let, um, fate take its course. She's going to let the song figure itself out too. I find these scenes incredibly disturbing. Um, you know, this, look, this is really, um, dark stuff. I mean, the the um the way that the Skeksis treat the Gelfling and the Podlings in the film and all of that is very brutal, um and and look again you have characters you know um finding about uh, about um you know deaths in the family from each other and it's really emotional show and and it's it's very dramatic, and I think that we surprised a lot of people with just the 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 volume of emotion. Um, and, and of darkness that we brought to this. I don't think anybody was expecting it. To, I think they were expecting it dark, but I don't think they were expecting it to be like, you know, but I think that's the dark crystal. I think that's the, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that, that I do love about the movie is, is, is just how it's willing to go there. Um, and as always, Mark Hamill, just, you know, a, a, a god amongst men, a, uh, you know, um, I, I, I sadly didn't, I have met him once or twice before, um, I did not get to meet him again during this. I, I can't imagine he would remember me from the times we have. But um, you know, it's um, he, he's just he's just somebody who who reinvented himself into this uh, into this amazing sort of voice performer, um, and uh, and and he just you know he just he just brought so much to the scientist. Um, I think the scenes where the where the where the boons are being given, again, very much a a Joseph Campbell. You know the hero gets the boon and all of that stuff. Like I really wanted this to to feel um, very hero's journey, so that when we pulled the rug out from under you, you you'd be surprised. You know, we, I really wanted to set up the expectation of cliche. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, yeah, this is um, you know Skekmal. I mean, this scene was very like you know when you write this stuff, you 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 write these action sequences beat by beat and you really spell it out, but a lot of it just winds up being what they can do on stage. Um, and, and this sequence is just beautiful and beautifully shot. And the performer who played um, Skekmal gave that character this sort of um, animal fluidity that is, um, that, that, that is just amazing. Oh, uh, throw on the puppet. Ye there you go. Yeah. Uh, see, this is a tragic and horrible moment, but I'm happy. I'm very happy. We threw a puppet. Um, uh, you know, having having them not be able to to use lore in this is it was a huge, um, you know, was was really important to us, and um, you know, kind of taking lore out of out of action so that we could we could have Skekmal be a real threat. Um, so, 
you know, this fight again, it's, it's a, um, you know, the, 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 I feel like in this, there's a lot more combat in the second half of this show than of the series than, than in the, than in the first half. Um, and I think the series really takes a turn for a kind of military, aha, <laughs> oh, I, you know, it's funny. The archer has such a, um, distinctive head shape. They really, they really kind of varied him a lot from the other mystics in a way that I think, again, really interesting how they can take these basic designs and vary them too. And, and I, I absolutely love the archer. Um, and, this, and, and again, this is us playing with the idea of the duality of what, what hurts me, hurts you, all of that stuff, you know. Um, and again, this was a much longer and, and, you know, there was like, you know, but then you start stripping all that away and what you do is you're taking it to the basics. And that's really what we got here, you know. Um, and again, just the fluidity with which he moves is, is wonderful. The stakes! <laughs> made it so dramatically yeah. at this point. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, this becomes more about a kind of military, you know, becomes more about conquest and, and battle in, in its second half um, in a way that really, and look, the way he jumps is, is amazing. I mean, it's just, ah, oh, poor Bennu. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, again, just, just a tribute to how these performances tell so much of the story. Like, we're not telling you a bunch of things, but you can... You can make up your own story about the hunter based on the, his costumes and how he moves. And I think that giving fans, giving viewers avenues to engage their imaginations with the show is so important. And I think it's one of the things that get lost in the desire to strip mine everything. You know, like in Star Wars, I now know what the spice mines of Kessel are. And I wish I didn't, you know, because what I had in mind when I first heard that line when I was seven was much better than what they did, you know. Um, I love how Madrefer is always like somebody's always bursting into the castle hall and being, oh, here's the plot point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, to interrupted, like, yeah. so, so I guess he would have been Powaka uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and uh, Redhead would have been uh, Koyan. Very nice. Um, but, you know, he just became Redhead Gelfling and he sort of became a utility player in almost every. He's almost like the character in the movie Top Secret who's called Latrine. Oh, God. Who's always bursting into the room and everybody goes, Latrine! <laughs> and he goes, ah, you know, it's like. So. This is just, um, you know, Louis, you know, I, I, a lot of this is in the script, but you write this stuff and um, it's nothing without the staging. And Louis staged this in such a beautiful and frightening way. You know, and it, one of the things I like about the Madre Fera puppet, um, and you see it in a lot of these scenes you see, is that she has, she has a very determined and staunch look to her, but there's also just a little, little bit of, I would call it fear but there's a certain amount of you know she, i think she's even though they're fighting i think she i think she she's aware that this is a um that this is a um not a guaranteed win for them yeah exactly yeah and and i think and i think she knows the stakes and i think that's in the puppet and i kind of adore that you know or maybe i'm just reading it into it but again it's um and the voice performance of course oh, yeah. is, uh, is could is, not is have been more perfect boss, you know Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> this when you know what um, the 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 mind control bugs. Now that's something you see. You know, like everything from invaders from Mars to the Borg to even Star Trek. Star Trek mentioned its first season had a had a brain control bug story that they never followed through. Um, so it's kind of a trope, but I think that you know the Arathim were very nicely nicely planted, and it's something that I think I came up with. You know, as we were pondering the second half of the season, and then it became so integral to this episode. Um, and again, it's like you write these things, but, and I was, I was on stage when this was shot and it, it was on stage. It was chilling. This, this, this shot here with, um, with Tavra opening her cloak is, um, 
And again, you know, one of the things that's great here is you see the fear in, in, in the puppets. It's just, um, this, this is just the money shot for, the, for, for, for me, for, for the episode and for so much of, of, of the show. There was, a, there was a, a, we had a convention in our original scripts that we wound up taking out where a character, and, and oh my God, you know, one of the things I love about this is, um, you know, we didn't have an army of Gelfling. I mean, we had a limited number of puppets to work with. And, you know, the, the way that, you know, again, Louis operated Steadicam and he, we had very talented camera operators on, on, on A and B camera also. So we have all of these shots here. And, and this is one of the things that Louis did so well. And one of the things that Louis did to just kind of really change up the way puppets are filmed. You know, it's like he's in there. You, 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 you are in the action. And this is to me really terrifying because you're, you're, you're you are in the middle of, of this of this onslaught. It's not just watching them from a proscenium. Um, and I think that's, and even though they're at, the, the, the puppets have, you know, actions that are sort of puppety, you know, this is a scene of great fear. And I think almost they're, they're the fact that they don't move like people, the fact that they don't move like actors really almost adds to the fear because it's easy to, it's easy to distance yourself from these characters if you just think of them as puppets. But by this moment in the series history, they're characters to you. And, you know, for me, they were that from the, oh, this is so, oh, poor Margaret Farrow, yeah. oh my God. And, and I have to just say, like, with a scene like this, like, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's like you've said many times before, it's, it's definitely not the happy crystal. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, look, I think the reason why this trope is so effective is, is you know, you're seeing a real violation, you know, of, of the bodily integrity of, you know, it's like with that thing in its mouth and all of that. It's, 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 it's very disturbing. And I think this is why this is something that you see in fantasy and in science fiction a lot, because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's this fear of, of being taken of being you know sort of against your will and it's it's horrible you know and i think it's it's a fear that 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 we all have in some way so there was a convention that a character would always narrate uh, every episode and in this one it was the emperor and the idea was that you know there was a, a voiceover at the beginning and a voiceover at the end and oh this is one of this one of my my favorite lines and i i, I believe it was will will or jeff's i mean uh, yeah <laughs> this is just so quotable you know. in this episode People oh, she's the best. No, her and, and, so much yeah. from this episode. Yeah. And again, it's like, you know, this is the collaboration. We had really talented people coming up with just hilarious stuff. And, you know, uh, I get nominated for the award. And, you know, look, I did the heavy lifting, but it's a collaboration. And that line, uh, uh, you know, I cannot take credit for and it. And Donna's delivery, These final too. shots, these final shots for me, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, they are so um, tragic and 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 they are so oh i love this this is just you know the way that that uh you know the relationship between the skexies and, and agra was played in this entire series is a real delight um especially when she washes her egg in the her, her eye in the uh, in the bathtub but this is this for me this was this is straight out of you know obviously this was my bit if i had any one vision for this episode it was this shot and this would have been narrated by the emperor um and it was a, a, a monologue about ultimate power and about how power belongs for the, the, the ones who are willing to take it. And it was really sort of a, 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 um, a discussion of, of what evil truly is and, and the evil of wanting to control your world. So much of the show is exactly about control versus nature. Um, and the Skeksis are the, the epitome of that kind of controlling toxic masculine rage. Um, even though they're not all male, even though they, many of them, uh, I mean, look, by and large, I think we, we actually all agree the Skeksis are not of any gender that we are aware of. Um, so, um, so yeah, red-haired paladin, 
or Koyan, or, as I like to uh, call him. That's much better. Everyone's been calling him Freckles, <laughs> yeah. but now we have a real Yes, they call him Freckles. That's right. And I th- that's, yeah. You know, that's, we can keep him Freckles. I don't mind. Um, so, you know, like, look, every, everybody who's about to be uh, uh, named here, just everybody's a hero as far as I'm concerned. This show, uh, uh, beautifully, beautifully produced. But that, I, like I said, th- those last two shots, the Emperor watching the, Skex, the, the, the Gelfling marching themselves, not of their own volition, but of their own power into the castle as slaves, um, feels like a real sort of low point for the Gelfling in the season. And I think that's sort of the classic end of a second act um, you know, in a screenplay structure where it's really the nadir of everybody's journey. Um, you know, and I think we only make it worse because then we have the whole sort of Caves of Grot thing. But, um, you know, I really wanted to end on a gut punch. And, and uh, the, the, the way they executed what I wrote is, is uh, it, it, just, it just did that in spades, you know, so it's just beautiful. And that concludes our audio commentary on the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Time to make my move. Um, episodes so i really hope they enjoyed uh listening to the audio commentary and actually let us know if you still if you would like to hear um more audio commentaries in the future for the show it is something that i'm always thinking about um wanting to do more more of them on on the occasion so definitely let me know if you'd like to continue hearing us uh you know doing more audio commentaries um for age resistance If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone.